We, uh, all of us, every single one of us is, we're, we're on a journey. And, am I off? Am I on now? Sorry. Yeah, all of us are on a journey. Life is, is not this easy thing that we thought when we were five years old. We, we see it all around us. We have friends who have been through hell and back. And we are riddled with questions of what is happening, God? Where are you, God? What is going on? Uh, I want to begin this morning with a disclaimer. Uh, One of the things that we refuse to do at Renew is we refuse to just teach on the easy things. Uh, I want to work hard this morning not to give the answers. Uh, Because the truth is I don't have all the answers and I refuse to pretend that I do. There is no seven easy steps to never experience pain. I'm not an expert on lament, and I find it extremely uncomfortable. But I know that it's important. I know that it produces something in us that we need. And some of us this morning have experienced this deep sense of pain and loss. As I was thinking about lament and the songs that we listen to today, if the Psalms of Lament were written in 2005, they would be labeled under, you'd find them under the emo category in the music store. Any, any emo fans in here? If you, no? Wow. You guys are all into like the Pharrell happy song. You just like, that's all, it's the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. No, but the thing that's beautiful about, about this, this emo or emotional rock is it actually connects with something greater than just everything's good, everything's fine. It, it kind of was this flip to the music world that was just moving in this positive direction. It said, wait a minute, there's bad stuff that's going on. Let's sing about it. The one thing that we have to realize is that lament is shared by all. All human beings share lament. Um, if there's one common thread in humanity... It's pain and the lament of life. All of our circumstances are different. However, we've experienced grief in various degrees. And as we think about the scriptures, God and his people are not strangers to lament. If you read the story of God, we find heartbreak, we find exile, we find destruction, we find brokenness and all sorts of dark nights. Especially as we read through the Psalms. The Psalms are daring enough to expose the low part of the emotional roller coaster that we experience in life. It also shows us the highest of highs. A good portion of the Psalms were written by King David. And one thing that we have to understand about David is that his story, his story within Scripture, is riddled with lament. Much of David's life, he was on the run. He was hiding in caves. He was hiding from kings that wanted to kill him. He was hiding from his own son that wanted to kill him. He screwed up. He was broken up. He was washed up. He was in the wilderness. And for some reason, lament was so close to David's heart. And it was so close, so much so that about 70 of the Psalms that we have... In the Psalms, there's 150 of them, about 70 of them are Psalms of Lament. 
And so, for you math folks out there, that's, that's about two-thirds of the Psalms. And so how is it that this man who's considered a guy after God's own heart struggles with all these things and just seems to be so broken and washed up? You know, it's funny, it's not just two-thirds of the Psalms. We also have the book of Job. Talk about a bad day. We have the book of Lamentations. It's an entire book that is dedicated to lament. And here's some background on Lamentations. It's, It's written from Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the lamenting prophet. And some, some scholars believe that he's writing the story, sitting on the Mount of Olives, watching his, his town, his people, his country, his God's dwelling place, the temple, being destroyed and laid ruin and laid bare and his people being moved into exile. And so why? Why is there so many psalms of lament? Why are these books? What, what is going on? Why is God trying to get our attention through this? I thought God wanted us to be happy. C.S. Lewis said, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The truth is, pain gets our attention and it forces us to wrestle. It leaves us vulnerable. It leaves us naked. It leaves us in a place where we feel alone. But it is in these times that we actually end up growing. For some reason, significant growth happens when we are the most vulnerable before God. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 51, and this is a psalm that is taken from a moment of David's life where he has been caught in the act of adultery. And so his life is ruined. And and during this psalm, he has this beautiful statement about three quarters of the way through, towards the end. He says, Lord, you don't want any more blood of bulls or sacrifices. You don't desire those things. What you want is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Now, my friends, David knew how to sacrifice. That When he brought the ark back into the place of worship, he sacrificed a bull every seven steps. So we're talking like from here to, to the end of North Wales, every seven steps there would be a, a dead bull with blood. I mean, this is a bloody mess. And David did this. He understood how pleasing this was to God. But what happened in the midst of his lament, in the midst of his brokenness, he realized that God doesn't care about that. He cares about my heart. That lament brings us a place where we're able to give our hearts fully to God because we have nothing left to give. We don't have any more sacrifices. We don't have anything clever. All we have is our heart. And that's all that God wants. And so why do we run from lament? And we we experienced that today, right? I loved how, first of all, I love your shirt because it says super loved and you are. And I hope you all saw that and make sure you remind her of that. But the thing that is so interesting is even as she's sharing the story of grief and and the the way that God has worked, it's like it's uncomfortable. So we don't really want to talk about it. We kind of want to just pretend that it happened in some former life. And, and it just makes us uncomfortable. Grief is uncomfortable, right? What, why is it so uncomfortable? It's, it's amazing to me as we think about if, if two-thirds of the Psalms are of lament, 
When is the last time we heard a song that actually exposed lament within a worship service? Or on the Christian radio, Michael Gunger in an article, um, actually the guy that wrote the first song that we sang this morning, which is a song of lament, uh, he said this, said out of the top 150 songs on the worship charts, there is not one that has to do with lament. And some of you are saying, well, lament isn't really worship because it's lament, it's different. But here's, here's my thing. In our American culture, for some reason, we, we, we kind of, we, we look at worship as it's just happy, but for some reason within the scriptures, it says worship is a much more inclusive. Worshiping God is, yes, it's our joy, it's, it's, it's seeing God and loving Him and for who He is, but it's also our questions. And so Israel does this really well. Israel is the wrestling people. They wrestle with God. As we look at the Old Testament scriptures, as we look at the Psalms, if, if, if I was on a desert island and I read Psalms and someone said, this is what worship is, I would say, wow. That's a lot more big than just, just saying how great someone is. And we have to realize that that kind of blows the doors a little bit off of what, of what my understanding of worship is. That worship is giving God his worth. It's, it's his worthship. And we know that he's worthy because when I'm in these pits and in these difficult times and grieving, that God is present and he's with me. And so as we continue to think through... Uh, where do we see lament? The only place I can think of is on the country radio stations. So for those that listen to country, you all are okay. You understand it. But we are a flat people and we need to be shaped in this way. And the Psalms are the place where we are shaped the most. They teach us how to connect our whole selves, the, 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 the parts where we totally trust God and the parts where we don't trust God. And somehow they fall underneath of God's love and His character and His sovereignty and we begin to look a lot more like the way that God wants us to look. They teach us how to connect our whole selves to the whole person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. J.R. said in his first teaching that the scriptures are written from God to man and the Psalms are written from man to God. They are the training wheels for our prayers. Um, for any of you readers out there, this will be on the table soon. But Eugene Peterson wrote a fantastic book called Answering God, uh, The Psalms as Tools for Prayer. And this, this has been really, really helpful as I am, am growing in what it means to be shaped by the scriptures as I learn how to pray authentic prayers. Um, the Psalms teach us how to connect our emotions to our souls. Um, they give us permission to feel intensely and to speak freely. And they teach us that there is no such thing as an irreverent question or an irreverent prayer. And so what I want us to do this morning is I'm, we're going to look at some Psalms. And, and we're going to leave them on the screen for a moment so you all have a time to read it. I'm not going to read it out loud. I want us to process this together. And as we're done, we have a couple questions I'm going to ask after we're finished reading them. So here we go. This is the first one. This is Psalm 44, 23 through 26. If you want to read along in your own Bible, you can, but they're up here. So I want us to take a moment, read it, reflect on it. Yeah, it's, it's the, Psal the Psalms of Lament are fascinating because they kind of take the clean church prayers and they throw them out the window. And this is raw, honest. Yeah, I mean, th think of, uh, when's the last time we've prayed this? Lord, wake up. Why are you sleeping? Rouse yourself. Stop rejecting me. Why do I feel like you're hiding your face and forget my misery and my oppression? 
We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us. Rescue me because of your unfailing love. I can't think of many moments in my life when I've prayed this prayer, or prayed this way, or prayed this this kind of thing. Here are some other here are some of the questions that the prayers uh, that we are given permission to pray from the Psalms. Here are some questions that that we see within the Scriptures uh, that teach us on, on how to pray. Uh, how long, O Lord? Where the heck are you? Uh, that's Doug Moister translation version. Uh, why aren't you doing anything? What have I done to deserve this? I thought you loved me. My heart is breaking. When are you going to show up? Are you even listening? Why do you always forget me? Now, friends, all of them except for the second one are, are taken straight from the scriptures. These aren't just things that I've made up. And the truth is, is we all experience it. For me, it came on Halloween. I was sitting in a tree somewhere. It's just what I do. <laughs> and I get a phone call from my dad. Your brother had a stroke. What? My, my, my little brother, who's taller than me, much, much taller. He's, he's great health. Everything's well. He's a good man. He loves Jesus. He's, he's, he's a good family man. He's a good husband. All these things. And, and all of a sudden, in, in a moment, those words, your brother had a stroke, my whole world seems to be thrown up into tornado. And my dad goes, yeah, well, we're going to go out and, and, and see. If, apparently he's okay. He walked into the ambulance. I think everything's going to be fine, but we're going to go out. And, and, and then I get a call about an hour and a half later. And my dad says, you better come quick because it doesn't look good. And in that moment, it's like all of a sudden this, this fear and, and, and this grief and this thing that just grips you, it's like when you're crying and there's no more tears because you're just so, you're shocked, shock, awe, fear. Uh, and then the questions that come. God, what, what's happening? Like, God, I know that you love him. Um, and, and I think when we experience lament is where we, we insert the word but after we make true statements of who God is. God, I, I know that you love my brother, but why are you doing this? God, uh, I know that, that you have a plan in this, but I'm really freaked out because I don't know what's happening. God, I know that you're sovereign and that you take care of things, but what, where are you in this? And the truth is, a, a lot of us have experienced even more horrifying stories than than, than that. And my story has a beautiful ending. I mean, I mean I, I've watched God in his, in, his, in his mercy and sovereignty and, and grace deliver my brother. And I have friends whose, whose parents are still dead, unexpectedly. You know, we, we have friends that, 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 that have miscarried. And they're, and they're left with questions. We have friends that can't get pregnant and they're left with questions. We have friends that have lost their jobs or lost a loved one and they're left with questions. And so I love that, that God in his wisdom is daring enough and throws and fires his PR guy and says, this is how it's okay to talk to me. I am the, I'm, I'm not just the God of the universe who stands up there and plays duck, duck, damn with your life, but I'm the God that is your father who holds you and loves you. And I think about it with, with my son. When my son con, comes grieved to me, I can't always give him all the answers, but I can hold him and love him and hug him and take him into my arms and hold him. 
And the Psalms of Lament, they're not just an explosion of emotions. Walter Brueggemann writes, and, and this is where we're hope, getting into the hopeful side of this, that the Psalms of Lament were a way that Israel ordered its formless grief and provided them with structure. And so some of the form that we see in the Psalms of Lament are this. They normally begin with a complaint, accusation, or cry. But there is eventually a pivot point. Michael Card, uh, he's a musician. He's also a theologian. Um, he, he calls this, there's a formula of remembrance. That's this pivotal point. And it, it kind of sounds like this. These things I, ha- I, I remember. Um, the, the lamenter, the person writing, if it's David or a different one, he sees no hope or relief. And in the moment of not seeing hope or relief, he says, but I remember the Red Sea. And I remember that you never left us in the wilderness. I remember that you gave me water when I was thirsty. I remember that you showed up and, and, and you were present in the midst of my suffering. I remember how you acted in the past. And he sort of ends it with how about now and Katina picked up on that. And my friends, this is why we tell stories that renew. We tell stories that renew because we, we know that lament is real, that we struggle, that we suffer, that we have had difficult things that have happened. But as we sit here and we hear the story of Jesus radically shaping and changing Amber's life, it gives me hope. It brings me out of the pit of despair and says, wait a minute, maybe God is at work. Wait, maybe, maybe I don't have to ask the question, God, where the heck are you? Because he's right there and I've watched him do something in Amber's life. Right? I mean, this is what we witnessed in baptism last week. Right? We heard these stories of people who, who had, some of our folks had lives that were in the pit. In lament, in grief. But we see the radical transformation of what happens when we begin to put our lament into the hands of, of, of our Father, when we direct them to the right place, when we direct our lament to God. The Psalms of lament shape and form our complaints, our moans, and our cries. They give us words for our voice. And here's what, the, here's what I think that they teach us. The first thing that the Psalms of Lament teach us is that we need to acknowledge what we are lamenting. And, and this is one of the things that we skirt through a lot of times in life. How many of you have ever been asked this question? Maybe some of you. How are you doing? Anyone ever been asked that question? Once or twice, right? A day. Uh, or a minute. And how do we normally answer? Fine. Good. Everything's great. We have a tendency to just blanket over things. Because it's uncomfortable. Imagine, imagine if, if we made a hard, fast rule that here at Renew, whenever someone asked you, how are you, how are you doing? We didn't say, we didn't have to pick through, do I really want to tell them? Or do I just want to give them like the short answer? But we just, we had a default mode in our minds that said, I'm really just going to share how I'm doing. I'm terrible. I've been fighting with my wife all morning. Things are really rough and rocky at home. Like, my, my kids are nuts. And I, I, I'm, you know, but we just had this moment of recognizing that, you know what? Maybe God actually wants us to be honest. Maybe the prayers of lament teach us that honesty is what God desires because we're giving Him our whole heart. We're not giving Him just a part of it. We're not just giving Him, Lord, this is my good, clean part of my heart. You can have that. 
But we're saying, here's all of it. The junk and everything. And you can fix it and you can make me whole. What if we said, we can't say we're fine anymore. The biggest tactic, and I believe this, that the enemy has when we are in lament and grief is to isolate us. And so we use these weird words like, I'm fine, I'm good, because we we feel like these people can't actually help me. Uh, No one can help me. I'm alone. And the truth is, is when we are at a point like that, we're actually saying, no one can help me. It's fine. But what happens is, I think the enemy begins to win and we see this cycle of depression and all these other things begin to set in because we feel like we're alone. The only thing that's worse than grieving is grieving alone. There's nothing worse than that. The one thing that I'm thankful as I think through Lament is I'm thankful that, and I believe that our structure here at Renew with the house church gathering, it makes it difficult to hide. You can hide. You can run, sorry, you can run, but you can't hide. The fact that you show up on a house church on, on a Monday or on a Sunday morning and people look you in the eye and they know something's off about you and they continue to harass you until you actually tell them the truth. I love that about our community. Yeah, it's different. It's, it's, it's not the normal thing, but I think it helps us not to hide. It makes us be transparent and vulnerable. The second thing that this teaches us is that we can't give Christian cliche answers. Because God doesn't. We can't give any more $5 answers to our million dollar questions. God gives us, we need to recognize that God gives us the permission to ask hard questions. And he's big enough to take it. Sometimes, this has happened before, people say things that actually do make it worse. You ever been around something like that? Like you're hanging out and you see someone who's, who's deeply grieving and you see someone come up and give them like a $5 answer. Like, hey man, it's all good. Everything's going to be fine. It's like, everything's not going to be fine. Look what just happened. All this stuff is going by. My whole life is changing before my eyes. What we have to learn to do is that, and this is what God does with David. This is what God does in the Psalms. This is what he does throughout Scripture. We need to realize that it's the presence of God that settles our souls. It's God's presence in the midst of our pain and suffering. When we think about this, it's huge in the 23rd Psalm, right? Um, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because my God is with me. But so many times we, we kind of live in this weird Dr. Phil Oprah culture where when we see the valley of the shadow of death, we just want to kind of skirt around. We think what God would really want is to take me up on the, on the mountaintop and just keep me up there and never actually let me go through the valley of shadow of death. But for some reason, it's there. And God says, I'm going to walk with you through that. I think this also teaches us that we need God's presence more than we need his provision. That God invites us to do this, but God's deepest desire is for our intimacy, especially with someone who is terminal. I I buried a good friend of mine this past December, and it was amazing to watch her move towards death. She loved Jesus, and and she was a good Christian lady, and she had her struggles and her flaws as well. But I was stuck in this weird place of God heal her and recognizing that sometimes when I pray, there's things that I want, but I'm missing the boat on actually what God wants. And that was a good thing for me to learn as I did that. And also it was great because she was so gracious and she encouraged me. I remember she said, sweetie, thank you so much for praying that God will heal me. 
But I want you to know that he is healing me and I can't wait to see my Jesus. Because I think as, as, as people that are grieving and suffering, we need to realize that our grief is not the end. But there is a, there, 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 we have a future, we have a hope in the kingdom to come, in our life after death, because Jesus is real and his kingdom is real and, and we, don't, we don't end up in the grave, in the ground forever. But we end up in the presence of God. You know, it's funny, as we think about Job, uh, Job loses everything. And at the end, when, when God shows up and, and God actually answers Job with a bunch of really hard questions, but at the end of the whole experience, what, what takes place is Job doesn't get, he doesn't get God, he doesn't get his kids back. Job gets God. And God shows up and that is the answer for Job. The prayers of lament, they teach us in prayer the things that we ask for are never really always what we need. And we have to learn to be honest with what we're asking for and realizing that God is going to teach us something different. But here's the thing that I want to make sure that we don't do. We don't stop asking that God takes away our anxiety, that he removes depression, because God tells us to ask for those things. He commands us, you have not because you ask not. He says, continue to ask in those. I think the last thing that the Psalms of Lament teach us is that we do not lament as people without hope. We have to remember that most of the laments end with being reminded of who God is and how He has acted. This formula of remembrance, this is where we need each other and we need to point people to Jesus, that God is still at work. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, God is present. He has not abandoned us. He has not left us. That's why, friends, the greatest thing we can do for one another when we are together is be present and remind people about how God has acted in the past and His love that He has for the, for the person who is lamenting. One of my favorite hymns, uh, is it's an old hymn, it's called It Is Well. Uh, there's a beautiful story behind the song. And so as, as the writer of, 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 of the song, it is well, he, he was in America and he was called for his family, his girls, to come on over and to, and to be with him in the U.S. as they were going to do some really awesome things here in the States. And he gets a, uh, as the family's on the way over, he gets a telegraph. And the telegraph says, the, sunk, or the, the ship has sunk and all, all have been lost. And so this guy just went into incredible amounts of grief and turmoil. Uh, a few months later, his wife passed away as well because of the grief that she was dealing with with losing her kids. But in the midst of all of that, he began to trust that God was up to something even greater that he could not fully see, that he couldn't fully understand. And he penned, these, he penned the words of it as well, which we're going to sing. And it's this amazing song that in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of grief, in the midst of lament, there's some crazy way that we can connect with what Paul was telling us in the beginning about how we can count this stuff for joy. Somehow God flips it on its head and we're able to begin to, to, to trust that God is doing something. It's like the moment, I don't know if any of you have ever been around someone who has lost a spouse or lost someone very dear to them. But there's something, there's some kind of a trial and a sweetness that develops in the midst of our lament and in the midst of our questions. 
And I think it's because God asks us and invites us to come to Him with His questions. So this morning, I want to bring up a slide. And these are the, the prayers uh, that the laments ask. And I want to give us a few minutes of silence and give us some permission to pray this way. How long, O oh Lord? Where the heck are you? Why aren't you doing anything? What have I done to deserve this? I thought you loved me. My heart is breaking. When are you going to show up? Are you even listening? Why do you always forget us?